Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, September 2nd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The White House ramps up a war room anticipating the GOP's impeachment probe. Ukraine's defense minister will reportedly be replaced amid graft allegations. So Shil Gavez is set to enter Mexico's dynamic presidential race. Donald Trump pleads not guilty in the Fulton County, Georgia case. The Lebanon-Israel border dispute may be mediated by Washington. Rishi Sunak appoints a new defense secretary for the UK. The US authorizes military aid to Taiwan under a program reserved for sovereign nations. A trial is set for the shooting case of Ralph Yarl. GoFundMe freezes donations for the gray zone. And X's new privacy policy reportedly allows for biometric data collection. In our top story, the White House sets up an impeachment war room. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, Daily Caller, MSN, NBC, and Daily Mail. The U.S. White House has ramped up efforts to prepare against a potential impeachment inquiry, setting up a war room of two dozen lawyers, legislative aides, and communication staffers to fight against a potential Republican-led inquiry, according to an NBC News report published Friday. A White House aide familiar with the plan told NBC News that the White House has been preparing for an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden ever since Republicans took control of the House earlier this year, and prominent Republicans like Speaker Kevin McCarthy have floated a potential inquiry. The House has been investigating Biden and his son Hunter over their business dealings while Biden was vice president and claims that Biden accepted foreign bribes while his son worked overseas. Last week, McCarthy called an impeachment inquiry a, quote, natural step forward. But the White House claims that Republicans have no evidence. Conservative Republicans like former President Donald Trump and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene have aggressively pushed for the House to pursue an impeachment inquiry, with Representative Greene refusing to vote to fund the government if an inquiry is launched. Past impeachments of Presidents Clinton and Trump in 1998 and 2020, respectively, boosted their respective approval ratings, and some moderate Republicans are skeptical about pursuing impeachment in districts that Biden won in 2020. Thanks, Eric. Fox News brings us the Republican narrative. Democrats ran on a platform to impeach Trump without any tangible reason and are now silencing hard evidence and testimonies from whistleblowers about the extensive corruption that permeates the Biden family. Evidence suggests Joe Biden accepted bribes while he was vice president, and he refuses to cooperate with congressional investigations. Impeachment is the only solution to this problem. MSNBC counters that with a Democratic narrative. The GOP is playing an extremely predictable political game by trying to impeach President Biden with no evidence. With no record to run on and a criminal as the frontrunner for its presidential nomination, the GOP has to resort to desperate measures that are out of touch with the real issues that Washington currently faces. The American people will easily see through this game and it will only backfire on Republicans. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This time, they say there's a 20% chance that Joe Biden will be impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. A Ukrainian defense minister is to be replaced amid graft allegations. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, Kyiv Post, and Ukranska Pravda. Oleski Reznikov, Ukraine's defense minister, is next week expected to be removed from his post and replaced according to sources who spoke to multiple Ukrainian news publications. This comes as Reznikov has found himself embroiled in new corruption allegations, which he denies. This time, he was accused of profiting from the purchase of military jackets from Turkey 
in which the Ukrainian government is said to have paid three times the normal cost of the items, with those involved in the scheme reportedly pocketing the difference. Last February, Reznikov came under fire after local journalists exposed another scheme in which Ukraine's defense ministry reportedly paid inflated prices for soldiers' food rations. Reznikov did not personally sign the procurement contract. However, journalists and watchdog groups said he bore ultimate responsibility as head of the department. According to reports, Reznikov may be replaced by Rustam Umarov, who heads Ukraine's state property fund, but a final decision has not been made. Meanwhile, Reznikov is reportedly being considered to be Ukraine's next ambassador to the UK. Last week, amid rumors that Reznikov would be replaced, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was asked to comment during a press conference. He said, I am ready to comment on any personal decisions in our state only after I have signed the relevant decrees. Meanwhile, Reznikov told reporters that he has discussed the possibility of a new role with Zelensky, but added that the decision was Zelensky's alone to make. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. We're going to begin our round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative. It's coming from The Spectator. Zelensky understands that if Ukraine is to join NATO or the EU, it has to clamp down on its problem of corruption that existed long before the war with Russia. He is rightly taking steps to eradicate this problem and should be commended for taking Ukraine in the right direction. And CF brings us the establishment critical narrative. Despite Zelensky's public pronouncements, he himself has been at the center of corruption allegations to the tune of several hundred million dollars. How can he be taken seriously on corruption if he's also involved? There's a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 0.8% chance that Ukraine will join the European Union before 2024. Pretty brave to try to reform the government while there's you know enemy boots on the ground in your country. You would think it'd be easier just to say, forget it. Maybe the corruption is that bad that they need to straighten it out to have money go in the right place. Right. News from Mexico as Senator Sochil Galvez is set to become a presidential candidate. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, Bloomberg, Mexico News Daily, BBC News, and France 24. Mexican Senator Sochil Galvez is set to become the main opposition candidate against President Andres Manuel López Obrador's AMLO governing national regeneration movement, Morena, in next year's presidential election after she won the endorsement of a key political party. Galvez's candidacy recently took a major step when the leader of Mexico's former ruling party, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, endorsed her rather than the party's own candidate, Beatriz Paredes. Paradise was absent from the PRI conference at which the candidacy was announced. The PRI joins Galvez's center-right National Action Party, or PAN, and the Party of Democratic Revolution, or PRD, and the three-party coalition, or FAM, seeking to topple Morena. The 60-year-old Galvez bested a dozen challengers to secure the opposition nomination. Galvez beat Paradise by 15 points in polling conducted this week, and though a vote is set for Sunday, Galvez could be named the opposition candidate outright if Paradise chooses to withdraw. Galvez comes from an impoverished family in the central state of Hidalgo and moved to Mexico City to study computer science, when she went on to start a successful tech company before becoming a senator, leading her opponents to label her as a wealthy oligarch. Meanwhile, Moreno is expected to name its candidate on September 6th. Mexico City Mayor Claudia Scheinbaum is the favorite to represent the party, guaranteeing that the election, slated for June of 2024, will give Mexico its first female president. Early polls show Scheinbaum beating Galvez in a head-to-head. Thanks, Eric. America's Quarterly brings us Narrative A. So, Shield Galvez is the perfect candidate to represent the opposition to take down Lopez Obrador's Morena party. 
She is a unifying figure, a successful businesswoman with an indigenous background from humble beginnings. Her charisma and charm are undeniable, and Lopez Obrador's smearing of her shows he is afraid of her rise. Galvez has only gained popularity, and electoral success will see her take Mexico in a new direction. Narrative B comes from Jacobin. Despite all the smears against him, AMLO has had a very successful run as president, bringing about necessary reforms to help poor and working-class people. Of course, like any administration, AMLO's government hasn't been perfect, but it has made tremendous progress, which explains its ongoing extreme popularity. The Morena Party will build on this momentum, and Mexico should support the party even if AMLO isn't at the top of the ticket. Trump pleads not guilty in the Georgia election case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NPR Online News, PBS NewsHour, BBC News, Reuters, CBS News, and USA Today. On Thursday, former U.S. President Donald Trump pled not guilty to 13 felony counts as part of his criminal indictment in Fulton County, Georgia. Trump's plea was entered via a court filing, waiving his right to attend a court arraignment next Wednesday. Trump's charges allege that the former president unsuccessfully attempted to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. Trump had previously attended the arraignments of his other three criminal indictments. Trump's plea comes a week after he traveled to the Fulton County Jail on August 24th to turn himself in, becoming the first former president to have his mugshot taken. The former president's lawyers also asked for his case to be separated from those of his 18 co-defendants. This includes former Trump lawyer Kenneth Chesborough, whose trial is set to begin on October 23rd. In the separate filing on Thursday, Trump lawyer Steve Sadow argued that preparations for a 98-page indictment and a total of 41 charges against all defendants would necessarily take longer than two months. Within this period, Trump remains free, having paid a $200,000 bond pending trial. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee has also announced that all related hearings and trials related to the criminal proceedings will be live-streamed on YouTube. Pool coverage for television, radio, and still photography will also be allowed. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. The first spin is a pro-Trump narrative coming from The Last Refuge. The decision by Donald Trump to waive his right to appear in court intelligently starves the woke media in its shameful quest to push a disingenuous message. It's this strategic thinking that the Biden White House sorely lacks, making it ever more important that Trump survives the ongoing witch hunt so he can win the presidency and right the ship in America. And the Herald Bolton brings us the Democratic narrative. Trump attempted to lead a conspiracy in the state of Georgia as part of an attempt to undermine the entire U.S. system of democracy. No matter the fame or fortune of any U.S. citizen, any individual who takes part in such a crime should be held accountable for their actions. The Georgia case is a vital one for America's future. The nerds from Metaculus give us a narrative saying that there's a 50% chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before the year 2030. The United States may mediate an Israel-Lebanon border dispute. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Associated Press, France 24, Reuters, and ABC News. At the end of a two-day visit to Lebanon, senior White House advisor Amos Hochstein said that the U.S. might help mediate the border dispute between Israel and Lebanon, building on the 2022 delineation of maritime borders between the two nations. Hochstein helped broker last year's deal and has said that he visited border areas to, quote, learn more from the Lebanese. His next step will be to hear Israeli concerns to determine whether it's the right time to push for a land border resolution, adding that he is optimistic. Israel and Lebanon have experienced decades of conflict and maintain no official diplomatic relations. 
In 2000, the UN established the, quote, blue line as a border between the two, an ongoing source of tension. The Lebanese caretaker foreign minister Abdallah Habib has said that Hochstein will be in contact with Israel and that if both sides agree, the U.S. will step in to mediate. Tensions between Israel and Lebanon have flared this summer, with Habib saying a border deal could end those tensions. The maritime agreement helped Israel and Lebanon, in the grips of an economic malaise, explore offshore gas exploration with operations at a drilling rig off Lebanon's coast set to begin soon. Lebanon has been without a president since last October, adding to the financial crisis and instability. Thanks, Eric. Tablet Magazine brings us the establishment critical narrative. By intervening in the Israel-Lebanon conflict, the U.S. has effectively disregarded all of Israel's security interests in this dispute. Chasing after a PR-friendly agreement has led to the U.S. protecting Lebanon and the terror groups that they harbor, exposing Israel to danger. The interests of Israel and the U.S. are not aligned in this matter, with Israel now facing the threat of an emboldened Hezbollah alone. We counter that with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Washington Post. This agreement could finally settle one of the Middle East's longest-standing disputes, with the prospect of peace being something all sides should be excited about. After the breakthrough maritime agreement, the momentum could be carried over to a land-border deal. The move could help Lebanon on the world stage, aid in Israel's security, and avert a new conflict. Both sides must seize this new opportunity. The UK's Sunak appoints Grant Shapps as Defense Secretary. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Sky News, The Independent, Evening Standard, The Guardian, Politico, and BBC News. As part of a cabinet reshuffle on Thursday, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak appointed Grant Shapps as the UK's new defense secretary. The role is Shapps' seventh within the cabinet since 2012. The role is also his fifth cabinet position in a year. He notably held the position of Home Secretary under former Prime Minister Liz Truss for six days. Schapp stated that he was honored to lead the Ministry of Defense and promised to continue to oppose Russia's barbaric invasion of Ukraine. Schapp's resigned from his role as Conservative Party chairman in 2015 following accusations he failed to deal with a culture of bullying. The incident came after controversy over Schapp's holding a second job during David Cameron's premiership under the pseudonym Michael Green. Ben Wallace, who led the Defense Department for four years, resigned on Thursday to explore new opportunities, as stated in his letter to Sunak. Wallace had announced his intention to step down earlier this summer. Though Shapps has said he is looking forward to working with the brave men and women of our armed forces, his appointment has led to criticism from opposition members of parliament who have cited Shapps' lack of military experience. Despite the accusations, Shapps has engaged in the conflict in Ukraine and visited Kyiv last week. Shapps' family also hosted Ukrainian refugees in their home last year following Putin's initial invasion. Those were the facts. Our first spin is a right narrative coming from The Spectator. While Shapps may not be the most experienced choice for defense secretary, he's widely seen as an effective communicator and a safe pair of hands. It's a complicated brief, but Shapps will undoubtedly rise to the opportunity. And The Times brings us the left narrative spin. At a time when global international relations are in crisis and the Russia-Ukraine conflict risks escalating into a global war, the UK is taking a massive risk in appointing someone with no experience in defense to this key role in cabinet. The Tories are more concerned with their electoral chances than global stability. The Metaculous Prediction community is giving us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 98% chance that Rishi Sunak will remain Prime Minister of the UK on January 1st, 2024. The U.S. approves military aid to Taiwan under a new foreign financing program. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, South China Morning Post, 
Focus Taiwan, Associated Press, and Reuters. The White House has approved funding for the first-ever transfer of U.S. military equipment to Taiwan under the U.S. Department of State's Foreign Military Financing Program, a process usually reserved for providing grant assistance to sovereign countries. Congress was notified Wednesday of the $80 million aid, which could include drones, ballistic missile and cyber defenses, air and coastal defense systems, and advanced communications equipment. According to the State Department, the military aid intends to enable Taiwan to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability and is consistent with the Taiwan Relations Act and the U.S.'s long-standing One China policy, which has not changed. The PRC's foreign ministry criticized the move, calling it a violation of the One China principle and the stipulations of the three China-U.S. joint communiques, adding China deplores and firmly opposes it. This comes after the U.S. military is reportedly in talks to develop a civilian port in the Philippine Batanes Islands, less than 200 kilometers or 125 miles from Taiwan in the Bashi Channel, a key waterway in the case of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Meanwhile, during a meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen in Taipei, U.S. Representative Rob Whitman, Republican of Virginia, warned that any hostile, unprovoked attack on Taiwan will result in a resolute reaction from the United States. The Washington Post brings us the anti-China narrative. This military aid is crucial for Taiwan as China takes an increasingly aggressive stance toward the self-ruled island. Any conflict in the region would gravely weaken the U.S. position and allow the PRC to take one step further towards global hegemony which is why Washington must speed up the delivery of weapons to help the island defend itself. Global Times gives us the pro-China narrative. Though the U.S. doesn't officially recognize Taiwan, Washington wants to transfer military equipment just to weaken the one-China principle it claims to acknowledge. Under the pretense of providing self-defense, America is using the island to create more volatility in the Asia-Pacific and provoke military conflict in the Taiwan Straits to try to thwart China's development. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 60% chance that the U.S. will respond with military force if China invades Taiwan before the year 2035. A trial is set in the Ralph Jarl shooting case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, ABC, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, and The Independent. During a preliminary hearing Thursday, a Clay County, Missouri judge ruled that Andrew Lester, a white man, will stand trial for shooting Ralph Jarl, a black teen who mistakenly rang the doorbell at Lester's home. Lester, who is charged with first-degree felony assault and felony armed criminal action, entered a not-guilty plea. He's scheduled to be arraigned September 20th. In April, Jarl was picking up his siblings when he went to the wrong address. After he rang the doorbell, he was shot twice, once in the head and once in the right arm. During 911 calls entered as witness testimony, Lester, 84, described the 16-year-old teen as a, quote, six-foot black man and said he fired without warning because he was, quote, scared to death Jarl would break in. Jarl testified that he was waiting longer than normal for someone to answer the door when he saw Lester in the door with a rifle. Lester told Jarl, quote, don't ever come back here again before he began shooting. In court, Lester's neighbors recounted hearing the gunshots and telling Jarl to remain outside while they called 911. When asked by the prosecutor if they had thoughts of shooting Jarl after he banged on their door for help, they responded, no. Scott, thanks for uh, laying out those facts. Our round of spins begins with a left narrative coming from CNN. As an alarming number of stories and videos surface of unarmed black men being murdered by, quote, terrified white people, you have to wonder what it is about black men that seem so threatening. Going back generations, black men have been falsely associated with criminal and social wrongdoings. 
These ideas are perpetuated in pop culture and echoed throughout white America. The case of Ralph Yari is another tragic cry for deep systemic change. And the right narrative comes from the Wall Street Journal. If you're listening to the gloomy outlook peddled by woke culture warriors, you might not know that race relations in America have actually improved. Transcending race is actually championed by conservatives, but leftist identity politics regurgitates stale narratives about xenophobes, sexists, and racists leading the charge. This divisiveness is harming America's social fabric. GoFundMe freezes donations for the Gray Zone. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Dissenter, and Gray Zone. The crowdfunding platform GoFundMe has frozen a fundraising campaign for the independent investigative journalism website The Gray Zone, known for opposing the U.S.'s foreign policy doctrine. GoFundMe refused to transfer the $90,000 raised on its platform for The Gray Zone project. Editor-in-Chief Max Blumenthal asked why it had not received the funds collected, to which GoFundMe replied, Due to some external concerns, we need to review your fundraiser to make sure it complies with our terms of service. Grayzone's GoFundMe campaign sought to provide independent journalists Wyatt Reed, Kit Clarenberg, and Alex Rubenstein with long-time positions. According to Blumenthal, the GoFundMe's review was undertaken for political reasons related to the website's coverage of Ukraine, adding that he believes someone, quote, fairly powerful would be needed to get GoFundMe to overlook the profit motive that usually governs companies like this. This follows GoFundMe's decision, also apparently due to criticism of U.S. foreign policy, to take down Mint Press News' fundraiser in March 2022. Two months later, PayPal banned Consortium News. Civil liberties advocacy groups like the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, have raised concerns about tech companies suppressing unpopular speech given their utility-like status and role as gatekeeper to the modern-day public square. We have exactly the narratives you might expect on this story. The establishment critical narrative comes from Racket News. Even those who don't agree with Gray Zone's politics should be outraged and alarmed. The anti-disinformation complex is close to perfecting the application of financial pressure, finishing a job begun 13 years ago when PayPal froze donations after WikiLeaks got a letter from the U.S. Department of State. This is a secretive public-private scheme to erode free speech, and all citizens should be alarmed. Media bias fact check gives us the pro-establishment narrative. The Gray Zone is not a freedom-fighting investigative journalism outlet, but rather a repeat offender with respect to spreading misinformation about major foreign military stories such as the gas attacks in Syria. The outlet's leadership has appeared in Russian state media, which is problematic to say the least. Our final story, X, to collect biometric data under its new policy. Here are the facts as agreed upon by TechCrunch, The Independent, Bloomberg, and CBS News. Starting September 29th, X, formerly Twitter, will begin collecting biometric data and other personal information under an updated privacy policy. The Elon Musk-owned company's new policy says this data will be collected for safety, security, and identification purposes. Although it doesn't provide the platform's definition of biometrics, other social media companies have translated that term to mean data acquired from a person's face, eyes, and fingerprints. The biometric collection is for premium users, who will be able to provide X with their government ID and an image to add another layer of verification. X's policy doesn't specify how or where the data will be used, but it says employment history, educational history, employment preferences, skills and abilities, job search activity, and engagement will also be collected. Collecting this data could be related to X's recent announcement of a new feature, X Hiring, which would allow verified companies to include job ads on their profiles. 
Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A, and it's coming from New York Post. Collecting this type of data isn't unusual in the social media realm because it's the best way to verify identity and give users an easier and better experience. Musk vowed to eliminate bots and make the platform more secure, and this is a great step down that path. Gizmodo brings us Narrative B. Musk's ongoing destruction of Twitter is marching on during his attempt to turn it into an everything app like China's WeChat. Although it's not unusual for social media platforms to collect this sort of data, everyone should be wary of giving it to a company with such a fraught history of workplace malfeasance, especially without knowing everything X will be collecting and sharing. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us our final nerd narrative of today's podcast. They say there's a 98% chance that Musk will remain the owner of X on January 1st, 2024. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, September 2nd, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more about the Verity Podcast at verity.news. You can also download the Verity Podcast app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast podcast.